Masonic Life Podcast. This is Past Master Moira calling in. I just listened to episode 79. I believe this episode is your longest ever, an hour and 24 minutes. Initially, when I looked at the uh, timeline, I thought, well, I don't know if I want to spend an hour and 24 minutes with you birds, but I subjected myself to the episode, and it was very good. You had two great guests, Michael Pohl or Paul, I couldn't tell it. Some of you called him Paul, some called Paul from New Orleans and Megan Hess. Both great guests. Guys did a fantastic job interviewing them. Learned a lot from both of them. Uh, A couple of other observations. Um, Pete, it was episode 79, not 78. Uh, Apparently, you don't prepare yourself before the episodes. Uh, You also mentioned you don't listen to the episodes. Doesn't surprise me because you're quite boring. Uh, Larry... You mentioned a book, Who Moved My Keys? Well, I moved your keys because your wife, Carol, and I have been talking extensively about your um, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. We're trying to figure out a way to keep you from driving. The other thing is, uh, again, you mentioned the three, your three favorite words, awesome, fantastic, phenomenal, um, whatever. And let's see here. Lodge Business Brief by James Stevens was excellent. And, again, Jack Harley and Tim Dedman, if it wasn't for you two, this, this podcast would suck. So, anyway, uh, I'm caught up. Don't know when you're going to do episode 80, which Pete will probably think is episode 79, but looking forward to listening to it, critiquing and calling in, and uh, see you guys at breakfast this Thursday. Bye. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Masonic Light Podcast. This is episode 83. 83. Yep, and... Episode 83 is brought to you by our Masonic Light patrons. If you, too, would like to become a sponsor of our show, please visit patreon.com slash masoniclightpodcast. And for as little as $1 per month, you can help keep the lights on at Studio 665. On today's episode, we are going to be speaking uh, with uh, co-host Jack Harley, who is calling in remotely. But he's going to... He's, he's going to fill us in on some of the cool stuff he's been doing with Lodge in the Woods and uh, the pumpkin roll. Right. Um, the other big stuff we're going to have, we have an interview with John Bridegroom, a uh, graphic artist who does a lot of cool Masonic stuff. And it's going to be a cool episode. So we'll, uh, we'll start with you, Jack. Um, well, actually, no, we'll finish with you because like, when we ask you what you've been up to, You've been up to the most, so we'll end with you. <laughs> All right. 
Larry, have Start you... with the one with the least. Yeah, Larry, have you done anything? <laughs> oh. Uh, what I have done was uh, was at the U-Bar Grotto uh, booth on Saturday, and I'm going to let Jack really talk about that. Okay. Uh, we did some uh, interviewing while the Masonic Life podcast picked up a couple Larry, drops. Let's be honest. All you and I and Tim did was sit in folding chairs under a tree. <laughs> well, it was wonderful. It was freaking wonderful. Loved every minute of it. And uh, we had Grotto on uh, Sunday night, which was well done. We enjoyed that thoroughly. And uh, what the hell else did we do? That's it. That's it. That's it. I thought I did something else. Well, I guess that was it for me. Tim, what have you been up to? Um, other than what's going to be discussed on the show tonight, that's been about it. Josh, have you had anything going on? Uh, I actually had to uh, official visit, which was wonderful. Um, and then I had to, well, I didn't have to. I don't have to do anything. I did the same thing that the rest of these fine gentlemen did that Jack will talk about. Well, the only thing I did, I guess, that was uh, different than you guys was um, the same night as Lodge in the Woods, I had a um, council meeting, and uh, I had an amazing speaker named John Dobling, and he helped, he really explained the super excellent Master Mason degree for everybody, and um, it just well done. Uh, I would encourage anyone, if uh, you're in the York Rite or you're considering the York Rite, the super excellent Master degree is an optional degree unless you're going to go in the chairs, but it's beautiful. It usually only gets done once or twice a year because it takes a cast of about 40 people. Um, it's, it's just amazing when it's done right. And if guys like John Dobling are there, they may ensure that it's done properly. So, all right, Jack, it's your time to shine. Well, you also had a tall Peters meeting, didn't you? Oh, crap, I guess I did. That was last night. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing you're in charge. Yeah, I, I oh. that was right. Yeah, Larry was there too. Yeah, he forgot. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, last night was um, widows and past officers' night, and we had six widows came out, and it was a very nice evening. Um, and I mentioned it at the meeting, and I'll mention it here too because this is the kind of thing that not just my tall cedars forest, but every Masonic organization across the board needs to do a better job. We need to keep track of our widows. And when a brother passes away, we should not just hit, like, delete on their line in Excel. Um, we need to try and keep those ladies involved. I mean, especially in Cedars, because the ladies are more involved. But you know, it's nice to know what they're doing, even in Blue Lodge, if we want to reach out and care for them. We just, I don't know. I just think we all need to do a better job of staying in touch with the families. I, I agree a thousand percent. One of the challenges, and we talked about a little bit about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in future um, Tales from the Crypt that I do around secretaries, is it's probably the piece of data that we track the worst. Uh, right. We don't keep up with spouses while our members are living. When they die, it's awkward to 
ask them to give us their contact information. Um, and then even those that we do have up to date on, when they move or when they pass, we get nothing. So my lives, for example, we have 246 widows on the books. We know that probably half of those or more are probably deceased, but we can't, we have no way to confirm that other than literally sitting down and doing obituary searches over the last 20 years. Check on the well being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, your point's well taken, Pete. We, we do not do that, a very good job of that. So um, for those of you listening, if it sounds a little wonky, um, we are not at our regular studio tonight. Jack, tell us why we're not at our studio. <laughs> <laughs> the nerve of those people. It's, a, it's not my fault. It's, uh, for 100 years, Ephrata has had a street fair. Uh, it's the uh, Farmer's Day week. And uh, Wednesday night, which is our recording night, uh, happens to fall on the same night as the Farmer's Day Parade. And there are, um, I don't know, they've turned over every rock in central Pennsylvania and everything that slithered out has descended on Ephrata, and they line the streets. I, now, I moved here. I, I grew up in New Jersey, right? So the first time we, uh, the first year that we lived here, I walked out one day, and the streets were lined with aluminum folding chairs. And all I could think was, oh, oh my word, this would all be recycled in 20 minutes if this was happening in New Jersey where I grew up. These chairs would be gone. But, but it's a tradition here. I'm, I'm, from where I'm sitting, I can see the flashing lights of the parade and stuff going past my house. But it's a, it's a two-hour-long parade. And by that, I mean the, the, the time between the first float and the last float passing the starting line is two hours. So it is a monstrous parade. Um, and it, it, it actually makes a loop around our lodge building, sort of. So there's no way for these guys to get in. Uh, I live inside the circle, so I could have walked. But, um, and there's no way for me to get home afterwards until about midnight. So, so uh, we're, we're hiding out in the um, beautiful metropolis of Columbia, and I'm calling in from my house. So uh, that's why it sounds wonky. Are you going to ask them to not hold this next year on the night that we record? No, I've already put in that they would schedule it on the same night as our recording night. Um, so, <laughs> but for those people, <laughs> I just wanted to look ahead, so maybe I can, you know, share the day off or something like that. But I miss enough without without that happening. But. So the rest of us, um, we're on the opposite end of the county. We're in Columbia in uh, Josh's house. Um, we tried diligently for a half an hour to try and figure out how to. Have this remote call recorded. Finally, we just gave up, and we're all sitting around Josh's dining room table, just recording it on my cell phone. So, <laughs> more technology wins again. More proof that the Masons do not run the world. We can't run a speakerphone. So, absolutely. So, so um, you've gone to a lot, Jack. So why don't we uh, go back to I guess Lodge in the Woods, right? Is that the yeah, the the. I mean, I've had a, a terrific busy seven days. Uh, on Wednesday of last week, we had lodge in the woods, and uh, 
it, it probably wasn't quite as well attended as, as ones in the past, but it was a great crowd. Uh, the meal was great. I thought the uh, we, we had a special event. We just, at Epilogue, we initiated this year two guys who are in a Highland pipe and drum corps. So the Grandmaster and the Grand Line, when they entered into the fire circle, were piped in with pipes and drums. Uh, and the whole grand line marched in behind them. So that was very, very cool. Uh, and uh, congratulations to uh, Bill Null uh, and uh, Jimmy Diener, who took that on for us, and they were all tilted up, and it was just, it was very cool. But the, the meeting went well. Uh, it was an extra bonus for me because usually at the end of it, after everyone has left, you have to break down the dining hall, stack the tables, fold the chairs, all that stuff. And this year, the, the camp had an event the next day, and they said, oh, no, just leave that stuff up. So that was bonus win for me, not having to stay there till midnight putting all that junk away. I, so that was Lodge of the Woods. I did hear, though, um, there was one little bit of excitement regarding the district deputy for the 1st Masonic District. <laughs> um, uh, he, this, this poor guy, he was ravaged. <laughs> What, what did you hear? Uh, just about what? Just about what he was wearing, or yeah, yeah, I heard he, he, he wasn't wearing. He wasn't in uniform. Correct. So uh, apparently, the district deputies communicate with each other whenever they're assembling as a group with the Grand Master. And notice went out that everyone was to show up in khaki pants, these yellow polo shirts, and blue blue sport coats. And um, district deputy from First uh, Masonic District showed up in dark brown pants and a brown jacket and the aforementioned yellow shirt. So he is the man. He is the man. We called them the killer bees as they were zooming around. No. Uh, the whole hive of killer bees flying around. There's another controversy, and I'm hoping he'll call in tonight. Uh, our own Jeff Moyer. Uh, I thought we were going to be, I, for a moment, I thought we were in a clandestine lodge because he was standing next to the Tyler when um, the show was about to begin, and there was some activity going on there that I had never seen in a Masonic lodge in Pennsylvania before, and he allowed it to happen, and as the instructor from that uh, area, I was quite stunned. So I'm hoping we hear from our uh, illustrious uh, Jeff Moyer. Um, well, I hope so, because you're giving me in. Well, I can't really talk about what he allowed to happen or what actually did, because it's it has to do with the way in which knocks occurred. Oh, well, we can't talk about that. <laughs> So maybe we should maybe we should call and leave a message on his answering machine. What do you think about that? I think we'll put it at the end of the show. Is I'll call him and leave him a message. So Jack, uh, the the other big event, you spent a lot of time planning and organizing um, the Ubar Grotto pumpkin roll at Autumn Days. So can you kind of just walk us through uh, what you you envisioned and what happened? Oh. Okay, so that's a false statement. I, I spent virtually no time arranging it. I just said we need to do this. And I sent an email to Masonic Villages. Um, Dave, Steffi, Dave Steffi got me in touch with the right people. And, um, and it sort of planned itself. Uh, it was really easy. All we had to do was be there 
And what we did was, I, I my wife pointed out to me a video on uh, Facebook early on in the year, and it was some town, I think somewhere around Allentown, that did this that did this pumpkin roll. And what they do is they just give kids a bunch of pumpkins or kids buy pumpkins. I don't even know how they do it. But you take all these pumpkins and you put them in the back of a dump truck and you take it to the top of a big hill and you dump the pumpkins and they roll down the hill. And I, I just saw this and laughed out loud. I thought it was hysterical. And it was perfect for Ubar Grotto. So I, said, I sent out an email to the officers in the grotto. I said, we have to do this at Autumn Days. So we communicated a couple times with um, Bev, I think it's Bev Swigert at Masonic Villages, and she helps put together the whole Autumn Day event. And she got me cross-pollinated to other people there. And so we bought the pumpkins from the farm market, the Masonic Villages farm. They, they brought us 150 pumpkins, because we had no idea. It was the first time we did this. Those 150 pumpkins were gone by noon. So we we sent out a call for another 50 pumpkins. They were gone by 1 o'clock. So we were just sort of flabbergasted at, at how everybody was reacting to this thing. And then at 2 o'clock, uh, we had the the official uh, tail dropping, and, and the pumpkin roll happened. And there's video of it on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it. It's, uh, it, it, it's just hysterical. It's like too funny. So, yeah, for our listeners, um, once a child would register, we would put a number on that on said pump. And it's basically like the rubber ducky race they float down the rivers, but it's with pumps. Right. But we, Jack had all kinds of art supplies and allowed the kids to decorate the pumpkins. So um, fun was had by all. So we were picking up googly eyes for about an hour. But it was all it was all worth it. The kids were the kids had fun, and we had a donation bucket out, and we raised the money for the Masonic Children's Home, and um, it, it was just great. It was really, I mean, for us, it was really easy. The staff at the Masonic Villages was fantastic. They had hay bales to line the to line the route, and and um, they they provided the dump truck, and we bought the pumpkins from the farm market. So their participation was huge. Uh, it would have been much harder to pull off without the staff at Masonic Villages. So if anybody up there listens to the podcast, um, please know we're really grateful for all your help on all that. That's very and then and then the following night I had to preside over a new Grotto meeting. So um and that was kind of a little bit wonky but it came off and as I like to say, no one was killed or maimed. So it's all good. Well I mean one thing was we had for a charity event, it was unheard of. We had probably 25 brothers there at, at Autumn Day. That was crazy. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe next year we should try and move the grotto meeting to that day so we can roll out of there and all go to a bar together. <laughs> Uh, yeah, since I won't be presiding over the meeting, I, I could probably go with that. But I didn't want to do both in one day. I had a very busy Masonic week. I was happy to be done. Uh, well, um, lots of compliments from us. Um, you really, everybody really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it worked, but. <laughs> I'm just surprised no one got hurt in the production yeah. of the aforementioned uh, 
I was waiting for the one of the pumpkins to bounce into a car parked there, but it didn't happen. Well, and they cut the stems off the pumpkins, so there was nothing to slow them down. I was afraid they were going to end up like over on Patton Campus somewhere. <laughs> One that went farthest. We had we had three prizes. We had farthest, fastest, and funnest. And uh, the funnest we awarded before the race, and uh, the fastest we did after the race, obviously. But um, I think the one that went farthest may still be rolling. It was <laughs> well. It went through the intersection. Yeah, did it really? It of, yeah, it went. It went way down that hill. But um, but I, we, I rolled one when we got there just to see kind of like, okay, what's this all about? And, man, those things were going down that hill. They were, they were, one of the things I noticed, Jack, too, was the people that stayed there for the roll. The streets were lined. It was great. They were lined on both sides with people. It was just the silliest looking thing, these pumpkins coming down the hill. It was just a total crack up. So, I think we're going to be back next year. We'll, we'll uh, definitely have some more pumpkins uh, to roll. So anybody that hasn't ever been to Autumn Days, it's a very fun time. The, the fraternity is really well represented there. Every side body and appendant and, and association is, is there. And it's just a, it's a great time. And, and this kind of like was the capstone, if you will. Uh, Jack, I'm going to put Tim on the spot here because he I'm blindsiding him with this, but he made a, a an observation. <laughs> and so for those of you that don't have never been to Autumn Day, Masonic Village is, is a huge, beautiful campus. There's um, a lodge. There's a health care center. And, and there's a long waiting list to get in. Right. But because it's... A lot of older older folks. Right. There's a lot of people on dietary restrictions. A lot of people. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. A lot of people have some mobility issues. People really shouldn't be out in the hot temperatures sometimes. So go ahead, Tim. Enlighten us. So it occurred to me, you know, there's there are literally thousands of Masonic conspiracies out there. And it occurred to me that perhaps someone should investigate one that uh, began to circulate at autumn days, which was, was this some uh, clandestine plan to, uh, of the natural selection process uh, of Freemasonry? Where you t so keep in mind, Tricler Lodge is not allowed to serve dinner before their meetings because so many of the men are on dietary restrictions. And yet they turn loose all of these people from all of the apartments and facilities, and they're wheeling them out in wheelchairs. Tell them what the menu and, is. And it's I'm getting there, and it's 90 degrees, and they're out there all day long baking, and the longest line in the place is for French fries and snow cones and uh, cotton candy sausage. and sausages. Oh, and it's all free. And it's all free, so it's eat as much as you can. And so it occurred to me that maybe we should check and see if there is a um, uptick in the number of new residents coming in in the next couple of months in the Masonic Village. And if so, we may have just uncovered one of the true secrets of Freemasonry. A true sinister. Exactly. <laughs> I think we, 
I think we should buck the trend and have the tall cedars have a kale salad stand. At the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and we're going to come back, and we are going to speak. We're going to listen to an interview we had uh, with John Bridegroom, John Bridegroom, Masonic artist. Uh, we'll be right back. Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back everybody uh we're going to jump into that interview with john bridegroom you can check out his website which is www.themasterscraft.net and uh here's the interview okay our guest this evening is john bridegroom john is past master of porter lodge 137 in indiana and a founder of the crown martyrs lodge 771 uh, which he's junior warden of the chapter of Royce Croy. John, welcome tonight, and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your business and your Masonic background. Yeah, so, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys uh, asking me to come on. Uh, very nice of you. Um, but uh, my business is, uh, I'm a graphic designer by trade. I've uh, been a graphic designer most of my life. Um, and, of course, as many of us do when you get involved in Freemasonry and you're looking for a way to contribute your skill set. Um, I started to kind of come across things that I, that drew me into the fraternity that I felt were lackluster when I was seeing them. Uh, and that kind of led me into starting to dabble in the creation of uh, Sonic logos and, uh, and then led me into trying to come up with some Masonic jewels and that sort of thing. And so sonically, I have a, a business called the master's craft, which creates uh, all kinds of, Masonic jewels, pins, coins, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I have a website where I retail some items, but uh, most of what I do is custom projects for uh, uh, grand jurisdictions or local lodges and that sort of thing, and especially if they have uh, special events coming up, anniversaries, bicentennials, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I really enjoy doing all that kind of work, and uh, I, you know, I have no desire to be like uh, a, your average Masonic retailer that just carries every lapel pin and kind of tchotchke that's out there, but I like working on custom projects and trying to bring my creative vision to, uh, you know, some of the artistic aspects of the fraternity. So, so congratulations on using the word tchotchke correctly. That, <laughs> well, that, it's you. not something I hear a lot. So, yeah. One of the things that led me to ask you to be on the show along with Ryan Flynn was you two had a conversation that I picked up on where you were talking about 
a renaissance in art or new art in Masonic and uh, Freemasonry. And I invited both you guys to be on the show. So tell me about your conversations with Ryan that you had that led to this idea. So, and that was what was kind of interesting about Ryan's comment is him and I had not actually talked about that directly with each other. Um, he mentioned it on a, a post somewhere, um, and I had actually been kind of traveling around preaching that uh, uh, a bit as I uh, was speaking at a couple of events, and I've been talking with my Grand Lodge about it specifically. Um, and what it really kind of grew out of was, you know, part of it's a biased uh, perspective of the fact that, you know, when it comes to me, hey, look at that. Uh, when it comes uh, to me, you know, I, I really enjoy all of the artistic aspects of the fraternity, whether it's the jewels we wear, the regalia that we wear, or the uh, patents of membership, uh, even charters or summons uh, that you send out for lodges. Um, that the character of those was something that really drew me into the fraternity. And so I have been trying to get people to understand the importance of those things, because when I came into the fraternity and, uh, you know, some of the first honors that I you know, had the uh, pleasure to receive, I was getting certificates that were printed out on inkjet printers, you know, on the block. <laughs> You're you know? lucky they weren't dot matrix. Come on. Right. Don't we you still know, do that? Don't we still do like, that in most of our yeah, lodges? Fan fold paper and yeah. Huh? You know, so I would get the certificates on like the glossiest paper you could buy from Staples. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I remember coming in and seeing the things hanging on the walls in the lodge and the, these beautifully hand-drawn, uh, you know, patents and, and honors and things like that with ribbons glued to them. And, you know, you could tell how much time and effort was put into creating this thing. Um, and then here I was getting you know, this sheet of paper. And so, uh, you know, the, the one I was disappointed, but what I tried to get people to understand is that these things, which there's this been this trend in Freemasonry to sort of downplay it all. Like it's, we shouldn't be proud of those things. We shouldn't want to wear the jewels that we have because that's ego. We shouldn't want to have these honors, uh, you know, which is funny. We, we have this entire system built around, um, sort of these carrots that dangle out there to encourage brothers to learn and to work. Uh, but the minute a brother says that he wants the carrot, suddenly he's, he's you know, sort of demonized for it. And I, I think that's kind of silly. Um, but what, what I felt was important was these, these things, these artistic expressions were really the manifestations of why these honors were important. The reason those guys took hours and hours to hand draw these patents and, and create these you know, beautiful jewels was because they were trying to create something that accurately represented the effort, the time, the energy uh, that went into whatever the brother accomplished. Oh, that's an uh, interesting perspective. Yeah. Never, yeah. never thought about it like that, but yeah. You know, so I, I felt like if, if you kind of look at it across the board, if you, if you think about it in the way that um, the things that we feel inside manifest on the outside, right. Um, what does it say about the things that we're doing and the things that we're accomplishing if the way we repay a brother is with the cheapest, crappiest thing that we can do? I feel it's really a self-deprecating process. And so if we want to elevate uh, the feeling and the energy around everything that we do, we should be elevating these things that manifest themselves as a result of the labor. You know, um, yeah. So that, that's kind of what drew me into the idea of what Ryan and I were then discussing. So. The work's beautiful. I mean, I, I've uh, now now looking at all your work. I remember meeting you down at Masonic Week. Um, are you going to be down there again uh, this coming year or soon? Yeah, I will be. Yeah, I plan on going in February. Yep. 
Yeah, oh, very cool. So yeah, that that'll be something we'll make sure we announce here on the show, so people can see your work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and you know, just coming to Masonic Week is a fantastic thing for anybody who's interested in going because it gives you a little bit. Well, one, you probably know from your own states, you know, traveling uh, get, broadens your mind and you, and you really gain a perspective of the work that you do and that your local lodge does by traveling and seeing what other people do. That only grows when you travel, um, you know, throughout the states and going to a place like Masonic Week where you can encounter brethren from not only just all over our country, but from all over the world, you can really get. Uh, a depth of understanding of what Freemasonry really is that you don't get by sitting at home, you know. You've been doing some traveling around and speaking about and creating an awareness of art and Freemasonry. Tell us a little bit about some of your travels and how you got there. So, I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to um, uh, have done some things in Indiana in Freemasonry uh, uh, and have been at it for a while it really kind of became my only hobby for um a long long time uh and it's something that you know freemasonry is something that i dearly love and so by virtue of that i've had the opportunity to meet a lot of people and after you know creating the master's craft and um serving in some of the capacities that i've served in i got asked to go and speak in a couple of places and uh, i've had the pleasure of speaking at the pennsylvania academy of uh, masonic knowledge um, I spoke at uh, an AMD in gathering out in uh, Missouri, uh, and I spoke at a, a symposium out in Idaho. And uh, two of those that I just mentioned, um, I spoke specifically about artwork and regalia and sort of being unapologetic about them and about why it's important for us to uh, latch onto these things that really set us apart from the common man especially in this day and age you know when you're wearing a tuxedo or even an apron or a jewel and you walk down the street people react to you vastly different than they would if you were wearing shorts and a t-shirt because they've never seen anything like that and these are like beautiful identifying characters of freemasonry that we should be embracing because that makes people it turns heads you know um but uh one of the things that i mentioned in those talks was every society that is considered to be an enlightened society um, through history is characterized that way by the arts. Um, you know, the Egyptian culture, the Greek culture, uh, all of these are characterized and th those are cultures that we revere in Freemasonry as well. But we don't say, you know, oh, those guys were, were really, really great because they made awesome chariots. You know, <laughs> we, we talk about their sculptors and their painters and, and their poets. And, you know, those are the things that survive and show us that the culture was not just, you know, a working culture. It was an enlightened culture because they expanded on what they did through the arts. And for a society like Freemasonry, which really claims to uh, uh, hold enlightenment as one of its goals, I think that we should build a culture around uh, venerating the arts. And I think if we do that, we might actually draw to ourselves more artists and more people that are creative in that, in that way. So. How, how do you see that manifesting now? Are, are, are you seeing a, uh, any like increase in the frequency or the funding or the, 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 the types of art that's being um, commissioned? I, I think that I think there is an increase, but I'm not, I don't know that I could say that necessarily authoritatively because, uh, you know, in the span, in the 20 years I've been involved in the fraternity, I don't know that that's enough time to show whether it's a true resurgence or not. But what I can say is that there are people popping up all over the place that are starting to do really good work 
and people are taking notice and paying attention. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Flynn, which you guys will be talking to, uh, is one that uh, I think has stepped up and done a tremendous amount, not only with the paintings that he's doing, but also with the illuminated patents that he's been creating and the stuff that he does is, mm-hmm. is really fantastic and comes from the heart um, and uh, is, a, is a drastic departure from, you know, the publisher um, clip art culture that we've had for a long time. Um, <laughs> Travis Simpkins uh, uh, or is, uh, um, he's doing, you know, he, he, I'm sure you guys the charcoal, f- yeah, the charcoal portraits and stuff. Yeah. That you know, doing, yeah. And that, that's, that's been a nice addition to it as well. Uh, there's a German artist named Jens Rush, uh, which is doing some uh, really amazing Masonic art. Um, and then there's a, a, a gentleman out of, geez, I'm not sure if it's, Russia. There's a couple of guys I, I've, I've tried to showcase. I have the for, good fortune of being the art director for the Masonic Society Journal. Yes. Um, and I've tried to kind of weave this into what I've been doing there and and highlight some of these artists that are doing uh, you know, some really nice work so people can kind of see. And, and even on, you know, Patrick Craddock with the Craftsman's Apron has taken, you know, a, a specific sort of angle with that and trying to bring back the resurgence of the Craftsman's uh, ship of uh, Masonic Aprons. Um, you know, so we're seeing some of that develop and I, I think that it's fantastic, but what we really need is the leadership of the fraternity to recognize why it's important and really kind of attach onto it too. I, think, you know? I, I don't think it's been discussed why it's important. I mean, your, your opening remarks were really compelling, uh, about, you know, it, it's an outward manifestation of the inward work that we do. And I have to right now publicly apologize to, um, uh, to, uh, Barry Thiel, for a, for, he he posted a thing. He said, "Okay, if you're a past master of more than one lodge, how do you wear the past master's jewel?" And I said, on Facebook, yeah. God forbid, I said, uh, "Well, it depends who you're trying to impress." <laughs> and I yep. so sincerely regret having said that now, because of of, of those. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, it's a crow. I'm I'm done. But Barry, you know, um, Barry, respect. I uh, yeah. Different perspective. There's a line altogether. to walk, surely. You know, I mean, I, I know we all, um, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a single lapel pin kind of guy, right? I, I like to wear, yes. I like to pick the single lapel pin that fits the moment. Yes. Um, which also, by the way, creates, you know, you kind of feel, uh, uh, you know, like maybe your wife when you go into your jewelry box and you're like, hmm, which lapel pin fits tonight, right? <laughs> it's this uh, really fun moment where you can. Do you kind change of the lipstick shade at the same time? Yeah, yeah that's, right. Yeah. You know. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that we need to, you know, I, I join, I, I'm a, uh, I had a, the good fortune of serving in the Grand Council line in Indiana. And I remember being an arch officer and working really hard and trying to impress everybody and doing everything that I should. And then the minute I, I got elected into the Grand Council line, I was so excited. And you get that collar for the first time, you know, when you're like, oh, I, I got this collar, you know. And then you're, you get to ready to go to an event and you say, okay, are we wearing our collars? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, you you're never gonna wear that what no. are you talking about well, only at the meetings yeah yeah right you know only only when it's the five of us and no one really cares you know? <laughs> uh, but but i do think that we we ought to remember that you know those things are the only way that we can express to each other that we appreciate what you've done for the fraternity and what you've accomplished you know those jewels and those rings and those Pins. I mean, those are those are ways for us to respect each other, not necessarily 
um, ornaments of ego, you know, um, and there's a line to walk, I think, but yeah, I think that there is value in understanding that they are the manifestations of our respect for our brethren. You know? So have you, have you found, um, in working with various either lodges or grand lodges, I know in Pennsylvania, they're very prescriptive about, for example, what a past master's jewel has to be. Um, and it's actually difficult to find people who will actually make that. There's only a few companies around that will make the Pennsylvania past master's jewel. Have you, have you run into either an easing of those restrictions or um, tell us about any encounters you might have had in that regard? So every jurisdiction <clears throat> is vastly different. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun to learn about what you can and can't do here and there. Um, there are some jurisdictions that are very lax and they allow the brethren to kind of do what they want. Um, and, it, and maybe some of that has to do with the size of the jurisdiction, smaller the jurisdiction, the more freedom they tend to have larger, the jurisdiction, the more, uh, domineering the grand body is, um, Pennsylvania is Wait, a great example of did that. Did you say, don't, no, you did not say that. No, you did not. <laughs> we love our grand jurisdiction. No, no, yeah, no. Right? Um, I do a lot. I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to do a lot of work with a lot of grand jurisdictions. I do a lot of jewels for grand lodges and for grand Yorkite bodies. Um, I've, I've been doing a lot of Scottish Rite stuff lately, presiding past officer and 33rd jewels um, and learning all of the different nuances. Um, there are a lot of, um, th there are a lot of people, people believe a lot of things that aren't necessarily codified, right? So they're, you know, oh, no, that jewel has to be like this or it has to be like that. And then you look it up and you say, well, no, it actually doesn't have to be like those things if you read the the actual bylaws that might state how it is, you know. So um, there's a little bit of a challenge there. But uh, the other thing that I encounter is that the, the way jewels were made in the past uh, is a bit of a dying art. And so there's a lot of things that have to be modified to fit the current um, ways that things are constructed. And so a good example of that is the Pennsylvania, um, uh, what is a past high priest jewel? I think the triangle with all the emblems around it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, that's a much more difficult jewel to make now because you're working off of things that are uh, molded instead of hand engraved. Uh, and even the molding process is a little less precise. Uh, you know, you could always go get anything done for thousands of dollars, but the fraternity doesn't have that anymore. So it's been a challenge to try and find ways to create these things and make them look beautiful, make them look like they are uh, the quality of the older jewels, but do them in a fashion that the jurisdictions now can afford them with what most of them have, you know? So, John, how would you and Ryan <laughs> construct a challenge? Even though Ryan's not here right now. Yeah, even though he's not here right now. But <laughs> we're going to be talking last week's to him. show. Yeah, yeah. Larry. <laughs> No, no, I'm doing Larry's right reading off the notes when we're, he thought you guys no, were all no, going to no, no. We're looking for a DeLorean oh, so we can send him back to oh, the future. Come on. Anyway, how would you construct a challenge uh, to Freemasons and Grand Lodges actually anywhere in the world? Uh, you know, I, I, I thought a little bit about this um, and didn't come up with any, uh, you know, brilliant answers probably other than maybe I just I would ask Ryan to do it all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, you figured no, this but, out. Okay. Uh, what I think where it needs what what I would like to see happen is I I serve as the public relations and marketing director for the Grand Lodge of Indiana. Um, that has positioned me kind of uniquely to have a little bit of an influence 
where it comes to the quality of these sorts of things. Um, you know, all of the certificates for various awards and things that the Grand Lodge gives out, all of the uh, uh, brochures or pamphlets that they create, um, and all the way down to even some of the mundane uh, programs that we make available for our membership online. I have uh, a little bit of an influence on how those things look and how they're created. Um, so one of the first things that a grand jurisdiction could do would be to create that position, to make sure that we have a position um, to work with the grand bodies that uh, is putting an emphasis on these things. Because obviously every grand master is not going to have this sensibility, nor is he going to uh, you know, have any expertise on the subject. He's just going to be doing his job, which is very different than what we're talking about. Um, but putting somebody in place uh, to look at those things and to uh, offer some insight as to how the, they should be created uh, would go a long way in starting to curb the trend. Uh, from that point, I think that what, what I would really like to see popping up here and there uh, would be um, in the same way that we put together uh, these events where we have two and three Masonic speakers that come in and, you know, the world of, of Freemasonry has largely gone to, um, you know, the Masonic researcher, uh, which is fantastic. We need people digging into our past and doing that. But I would like to see, uh, you know, a Masonic art shows put together, a wine and cheese evening with uh, painters and, you know, Ooh. you compare those Ooh. with you know, places that have <laughs> um, uh, Masonic library museums. And then you, so you could have artists showcasing their work you could have library museums showcasing older pieces of work that show you the continuity of the old to the new. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of crazy things out there. Masonic, uh, Masonic porcelain was a huge thing for a long time. Oh, Those yeah. are you know, beautiful if you can find them. Shaving um, mugs. I actually and... have, uh, I have photos. This is a bit of a tangent, but indulge me for a minute. Um, I have photos of, it's about, I would say probably 12 inches long, uh, about five inches high easy now. solid silver <laughs> phrasing solid silver <laughs> um baby carrot and it's a one-off and it's beautifully crafted masonic symbolism all over it and it was created as a one-off when a worshipful master's wife was having a baby wow they would make this for him and give it to him wow. you know and that's back when you know silver was probably you know dirt cheap and the guys who did this kind of work were a dime a dozen because they were all, you know, apprenticing in the shops and whatnot. Um, but you can kind of see where those things in the past, you can bring those out and show them to the brethren while you have people trying to do the same thing in the modern day, you know, um, pair it with some, you know, some classical music and some wine and some cheese. And you would have a beautiful evening of fellowship surrounded by the arts I brothers like get together and talking. I, I mean, I think that would be a, a high class event that uh, Grand Lodges could put on in their state and really attract people of, uh, of caliber, you know. Did, uh, did you participate in the uh, the Apollo meeting at uh, at the George Washington Memorial, the, the Masonic Artists Association? Uh, no, I'm not. I don't think I'm aware of that. Um, it, I, I think it's called the Association of Masonic Artists, and they, they held a conference at the George Washington Memorial in Alexandria, and there was it was a gathering of Masonic artists oh. um, that reflected on that. I just... Didn't and know he got, if he and participated in that. Got snubbed. Uh, who did? John did. John yeah. got snubbed. You see, but but John. No, see, but <laughs> he just found out about it. So John is director of Bling, and and that's uh, yeah. But and Chachkis. I think I think there was a represent when the name Apollo was there a represent there might have been a representative from that organization at Masonic Week that had like 
some paintings on display and I think I gave him like 50 bucks for a book and he signed my name into something. I can't remember, but yeah, I you remember now organization. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. One question. Are you, and when Ryan comes on later, Oh my God. No, he was last week. Larry. Prepared. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what I have to put up. Larry, with take constantly. your meds. Constantly. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm as a construct, Larry. Don't worry. <laughs> Are you prepared? Are you, are you prepared for the challenge? And that, this this show tonight could cause this to go viral. <laughs> this is a challenge. This is or, a challenge, all right. See, my fingers crossed it could. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've I've rarely been prepared for anything I've done in my life, so I'm not that worried about that. You boy. fit right in with that this. boy. Yeah, right? um, so these questions oh. that I submitted to you. Uh, <laughs> Well, because I, I think that, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that you have to just climb on the wave and ride them if it happens. And uh, I mean, I would love to see it happen. And certainly uh, in the capacity of what I can do, I would be I would be there for the ride. Um, and, you know, there's other people, too. Like I, I mentioned, uh, um, you know, pairing it with museum uh, uh, exhibits and that sort of thing. Um, and Adam Kendall out of California, who has been um, really involved in. Uh, Masonic Museum scene, scene out there uh, is another guy that could really, you know, and I've talked to him not specifically about this, but about these types of things. And, you know, he, he's, he'd be a, he would be a, a real champion for that sort of thing. So there are people out there that I think can help kind of come together and do something like this. And, and, and you and uh, Flynn are going to organize them, right? If I thought Larry could follow through on it, <laughs> God help us. What? Uh, that would be a great name for uh, for a contact to reach out to and, and and talk to about what's going on out there in California as far as that. Oh yeah, Masonic yeah, Art coming. Yeah. So yeah, Larry, take down that name. And oh, I didn't take it down. I know you listen didn't. to what, the what, show in a month. Yeah, listen yeah, to the show, the show when it comes month. out, and you'll be fine. Yeah. What was the name again, John? It's Adam Kendall, <laughs> and luckily this is being recorded for the first time ever. Exactly. Uh, spell his last name, Pendle. Kendall, Kendall with a K. K E N D A. Why did I hear that? Yeah. Okay, thanks. This is our implied copyright. Bam. <laughs> so, Larry, get on that wave and ride it. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> so, I have an important question. Um, you live in Indiana. How uh -oh. far away are you from Goshen? Uh, I'm actually, um, I, I'm about an hour, 15 minutes from Goshen, but I'm in South Bend right now, which is right next door to Goshen. Okay. Because I, I, I get shanghai out there every uh, every year for two or three days and at my Mennonite sister-in-law's house, no television and all I'm, and no alcohol. And uh, I may need, uh, I may need to, to throw, it, throw you a, a digital hailing sign. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're in the area, let me know and we will find uh, a watering hole for you for sure. Perfect. Thank you. That's all. Uh, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll try and figure out how I can get Tim to turn all these electronic devices off, and we'll be right back. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, 
and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. Yeah, welcome back, and we're with John Bridegroom. We're about to wrap up uh, this uh, wonderful meeting that we've had with him. He's going to go to a meeting. Oh, no, no. Play practice. Play practice. Yeah, play practice. There, you go. there you go. Play practice. Thank you, Larry. Oh, John, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, tell us about your website. Tell us a little bit more about your business and uh, what folks and can do to contact you. Okay. Full disclosure, John did not want to talk about his website, but That's we're correct. making him we're talk making about his website him. because we're glad he's here. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you – my website is uh, – www.themasterscraft.net. <laughs> How do you do that with your eyebrows? And yeah, not right, and right. not com because I looked the first yeah, time and like if I want to order hardwood, right. yeah. Right. Dot net. If I could get that flooring company to sell me that domain, I'd tell you. <laughs> right. So yeah, so it's themasterscraft.net, and um, you know I retail a handful of things on there. It's not a it's not a massive expansive uh, Masonic uh, uh, you know regalia website, but uh, I have. Past presiding jewels for York Rite, uh, uh, local level and Grand Lodge level, uh, past masters jewels, um, various things, Scottish Rite jewels. So, you know, take a look, see, look on there and see if there's anything that you like. Uh, I think you'll really like the quality of the stuff that's on there, the design of it. Uh, and uh, also, if you've got any um, custom projects for your lodge or your, you know, any of the appendant bodies or even your grand lodges that uh, you want me to work on, lodge you in the can woods. You can email at the uh, masterscraft oh, yeah. at comcast.net. Uh, so that's the masterscraft at comcast.net. And wow. I would be happy to work with you, get pricing, and see what we can make happen. Awesome. Awesome. And um, I'm, we, we have a surprise guest here, doesn't know he's going to be on the air, our friend Scott Helm. And uh, past master, <laughs> and uh, he—you um, missed this earlier, Scott. Um, Scott, tell us what 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 is your job at the the Valley of Reading? Which one? Uh, the um, oh, hang on. Go oh, are you on? on? Uh, no, his mic's not on. Uh, now go. Uh, which one? Nope. Talk in the Larry's mic. Oh no! Party, Party fell. fell. Uh, that's gonna Fumble. eat through the table. Which one are you referring to, Pete? Um, which line are you in? I'm in the Sovereign Prince line. Okay. Um, so, but there's two of us here tonight that are in the Rose Croix line. Oh, John, John and myself. So, but but I will say that Scott has come up with a very funny assessment of the different bodies within Scottish Rite. I don't think that's mine. I think I saw it somewhere before, so I'm not going to okay. take credit for well, it. Well, don't take credit, but tell us, because it's hilarious. All right, so... Lodge of Perfection pays the bills. Rose Croix says the prayers. Sovereign Prince does all the work. And Consistory takes all the credit. There you go. <laughs> Beautiful. Is it the Beautiful. same in Indiana? <laughs> there will be a t-shirt out. <laughs> yeah. I'm, def- I'm definitely going to use that here in Indiana. That's okay. great. I get three cents every time you use it. That's great. <laughs> 
Well, uh, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Uh, I hope folks will go to your website. Uh, it is just chock full of some really fascinating jewels. And um, uh, the uh, the past masters jewels are just gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can get all the Illuminati jewels on there too. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's it's Oktoberfest, so I'm all about the Bavarian stuff. So yes, yeah, perfect. And we may have to commission a Masonic Light podcast jewel. So. Uh, I don't know yeah. if we could hit the minimum. Ooh. Minimum could, order. Could, could we sell the minimum of fifty or whatever it is? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, there's no. I have no minimums. Uh, you know, if you, I'll make one jewel for you, but you'll have to pay like three hundred fifty bucks for it. So. <laughs> All right. That's our that's our uh, Patreon. Yeah. But I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, and hopefully I'll see some of you guys out at Masonic Week uh, there in uh, Virginia in February. That'd be nice. So. Yep. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm good. We're gonna. I think we're all gonna do a pop in. Um. Yeah. You know, if you're not we, if you're not like Mr. Knight Templar, there's only limited things for you to do there. Two. That's true. Yeah. Br- breakfast That's true. and one of the lunches. Yes, yeah, so yeah. if you're just lowly AMD uh, yeah. sovereign master like I am, you get invited, <laughs> and then you got to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go to one meeting and then stand around. Yeah, yeah. you're allowed to wash the windows. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John. Thank you so much for uh, coming out tonight, and um, we'd love to have you back on in the future when we could uh, hurt herd cats maybe we can get an interview down at masonic week with you and ryan at the same time well, same there, place there at, the bar. Nice at yes. the bar don't plan yes. on it there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm game with whatever you guys set up so yeah if you uh, you know if anything comes up or uh, you want me back i'd be happy to be here so awesome, awesome. Thanks, thanks for John. being here thank you sir good luck at the scottish right tonight all right thanks man Hey, and we're back. Larry, welcome Yo. back. We just got done listening to the giant uh, bridegroom interview. So anything you want to discuss about that? Oh, he, 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 uh, John's a very interesting individual. Uh, good to have him on the show. And I think one of the things I tried to get out of him was uh, to, to uh, put a challenge out there to Grand Lodges and, and local lodges. We're and back to this again? Yeah, yeah. We didn't. Well, didn't, you may not have heard it for three weeks. But the listeners just heard you say this 30 seconds ago. Jeez, okay. We need to scratch that then. No, no, no. That's all good. <laughs> so, no. John, what a great... Thank you for coming on. And uh, we'd love to have you back again when we have a... Uh, well, you could be the only guest. You could be the whole show. Um, because you, you've got a lot of cool stuff to say. And for anybody out there that's looking for um, pens or that type of thing, he's a great spot. And... Uh, Josh talked a little bit earlier about the website, so go there and check that out. www.themasterscraft.net. Exactly. Alrighty. Uh, so let's take a break. Probably going to hear from Michelle Snyder. Probably going to hear from Jim Stevens. I, I don't really know because this is a really weird week, but we'll be right back. <laughs> with symbologist Michelle Snyder. Rapunzel unlocked. History may not seem exciting sometimes, but knowing the context of stories and pictures is an important part of our golden key and unlocks the golden box of wisdom. In the story Rapunzel, we can see some not so pleasant history and a good moral lesson too. Don't make promises you don't want to keep. 
that is what the father of Rapunzel learned. During the hungry times of past millennia, a poor farmer's wife talks the wretched man into stealing some food from their neighbor's garden. It was owned by a witch who eventually catches him in the act. In exchange for letting him go with the vegetables, she makes him promise to give her his firstborn. He agrees, as otherwise he would have suffered at the hands of the witch, or perhaps he was thinking he would never have a firstborn, or it would be in the future and the witch would forget. But at last, the poor couple is soon blessed with a baby, and one year later the witch takes the infant daughter and puts her in a tower to protect her while the child grows up. When the lovely Rapunzel is a young teen, a prince finds her and sneaks into the tower for visits by climbing up her long braid. The witch discovers their impropriety and throws the prince out after blinding him, and then she cuts off Rapunzel's hair. Although a very popular children's story, this tale is actually about very difficult times and bad people who are re represented by the witch. It is a story from hungry, cold centuries, when one culture was oppressed by another, one that controlled the stores of food, symbolized by the Garden of the Witch, and exacted blood tax. If you couldn't pay your taxes in goods or money, you paid with your children. Starving families were desperate and were forced to trade children for food, as the husband in our story traded his first child for Rampion, a cabbage-like plant. Tax girls were raised to twelve, and then put into breeding facilities symbolized by the tower. Boys were either sacrificed or castrated and enslaved, represented by the wounded prince. The main cardinal or noun in this story is the damsel's hair, which is a symbol of a female's sexual attractiveness and availability. When a female no longer wanted to, or was socially forbidden to attract men, her hair was cut off. In this story, a Prince Charming character rescues the beautiful maiden from a breeding barn, and vengeance is exacted upon them by the swindled witch. The young damsel had already conceived with the prince, and did not need to be attractive to the males for breeding, so her captor cuts the maiden's hair and throws her out with her babes. She had had twins. The prince was blinded and left to die, as was Samson in Judges 16 of the Bible. In some versions, the prince is wandering in a desert place and hears his wife singing and reunites with her and their children. For more golden nuggets, read Fairy Tales Uncovered. Next time, we will discover the real story of Narcissus and Narcissa. If you'd like to take a deeper look, be sure to check out Michelle's book, Symbology Revision. A link for purchase can be found on the Freya Foundation website. That's freafoundation.net. While you're there, take a look at some of Michelle's other works and find out more about the Freya Foundation and its mission to research and publish the Ensman archives. It's time for the Lodge Business Brief with Brother Jim Stevens. Well, again, Masonic Light Podcast listeners, this is Jim Stevens with another Lodge Business Brief. Budgets are not just for households or companies. They have a place in our Lodge. A well-established budget will help leaders ensure the financial future of the Lodge, provide security against fraud, and help focus the Lodge's goals. Each new master should bring a new budget. Don't fall into the trap of recycling last year's budget. The process of preparing the budget will provide opportunities to ask questions, and the answers will provide education. Each Grand Lodge have, may have specific requirements for content, 
formatting, and the approval of a budget. Be sure to check with your Grand Lodge before implementing any of these recommendations. In general, the budget should be easy to understand with a limited number of categories. It should include both revenue and expenses. It should be balanced, or better, have some extra money at the end of the year for the next master. It should also be comprehensive. Budgeting for revenue ensures that you have a balanced budget, but also helps during dues collection and other fundraising efforts. If your revenue is falling behind because of non-payment of dues, leadership may have to make mid-year adjustments in the expense side of that budget. If your Grand Lodge allows it, you can divide the expense side of the budget into four sections. Section 1 would be for regular and predictable expenses. For example, rent, utility, salaries, Grand Lodge dues. This section can be presented at the first meeting year and approved. Once approved, anything, any normal expense charged against it does not need further approval. Section 2 would be for the long-term spending. This would be for multi-year projects like lodge anniversaries or savings to replace the lodge roof. In this case, you are setting a fixed amount aside for future need. Similar to Section 1, these lines can be approved at the first meeting and paid as scheduled without further approval. Section 3 is for true budget items with unknown costs. This would be things like the Lodge Summer Picnic. Based on historical information, the Lodge has an idea of what it will cost, but no specifics. Any initiative by the Worshipful Master would also fall here. Each of these costs will need approval by the Lodge once the actual value is assigned and then assessed against the budget as each is incurred. Section 4 is for everything else. Most of this will be contingency money and discretionary money. For example, the Lodge could include $2,000 for charity, but at the time of the budget it's not known what charity, how much, or how often it will be paid. Then each time a motion comes to the floor and a contribution is paid out, it would be paid out against a specific budget line. Additional ideas on how to develop and manage Lodge finances can be found in my book, Lodge Business, The Theoretical Application of Entrepreneurial Business Practices of Blue Lodge, available on Amazon. This is Jim Stevens with your Lodge Business Brief. In Masonic News Today, at the 2019 Lodge in the Woods, the Grand Master of Pennsylvania and many Grand Lodge officers join the lodges of the 1st Masonic District at a scout camp in central Pennsylvania. After a festive dinner and much fellowship, the Lodge convened at the Campfire Circle, where the Grand Line was received in numerous wards, were presented by worthy brothers. A search party has been dispatched as the entire corps of district deputies went missing in the woods after the event. Several officers were found wandering aimlessly in the camp, while the rest are believed to be recovering at a local cigar store. That's the Masonic News. So good it was. <laughs> Hey, Tim. That's a pretty cool shirt you've got on. What, where'd you get that thing? I got it at the Masonic Marketplace. What is that? That's the online store for the Scottish Rite of the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction. They've got all kinds of great shirts, ties, and gifts available, and they'll ship it right to your house. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Uh, this is on the interwebs, I guess. Uh, what Do you know where I can find it? Yeah, it's actually at www. TheMasonicMarketplace.com 
I'll head there as soon as I get home. <laughs> Hey, and we're back. Hey, uh, so, Larry, do you have anything going on in the next couple weeks? Next couple weeks, lodge meeting, uh, the first Tuesday in October. And our brother here, Brother Josh, will be serving in the East again. Looking forward to that. That's it for me. Tim. Um, just the things that you're going to mention here in a few minutes about the Scottish Rite reunions and the plays. Um, but other than that, it's uh, pretty straightforward. Just a regular lodge meeting. Uh, got a Royal Arch chapter meeting. But uh, other than that, I'll just defer to you. You guys will get a real treat in the next episode. You won't get to hear my voice because I'll be in Mexico. <laughs> Probably stranded or sick on a beach, but I'll be in Mexico. Um, but uh, here's the things that are... Oh, Josh, what do you have going on before I... You're running a meeting. Right. I'll be doing the uh, stated meeting for, uh, is it recording? Yeah. Yeah. Lamberton Lodge. For Lamberton Lodge number 476. Uh, it's it's going to be past Master's again. Night. Try it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> past Master's Night. Past I, Master's Night. Uh, I got, hey, I got a, I got a, I got a handwritten invite from uh, your secretary. First one in 10 years. Nice. <laughs> Rob does a good job. And that'll be tomorrow for those of you that are listening on the day the podcast is released. Right. And that is a prime rib night, by the way. It is prime rib. Hmm. And the meal is free, though donations are appreciated. Okay. So here's what's... Uh, and yeah, I have nothing else. So um, Saturday, October 19th, at the Valley of Reading, see the world-famous magician Lance Burton and Friends. Tickets are $40 for adults... $25 for children. You can get tickets at the Valley of Reading box office, or if you visit eventbrite.com, do a quick search for Lance Burton. If you see in Reading, Pennsylvania, that's the one. That's his, his only gig that he's doing there. Um, there you go. There you go. Tim could read the next one. All right. Uh, as we mentioned a moment ago, October and November are Scottish Rite reunion seasons. Uh, if you wish to join the Scottish Rite, or if you're already a member and want to come back for a reunion, Visit ScottishRightNMJ.org to find out the dates for reunions in your area. Uh, local to Masonic podcast listeners are the Valley of Harrisburg, or I'm sorry, the Valley of Lancaster uh, on Tuesday, October the 15th. Uh, the Valley of Reading and the Grand Valley of Harrisburg will be meeting on Saturday, November the 16th. Um, and Sunday, uh, October 27th is Ubar Grotto's infamous Halloweeny ceremonial. If you're a master mason and want to join the grotto, reach out to Monarch Jack uh, here at Masonic, Lot, uh, Masonic Light Podcast at gmail.com. And last plug, hey, I did something to the website. Go check it out, MasonicLight.com. Uh, get on the email list. Uh, create an account. I don't know what we'll do with it, but we can chat. Because, you know, we couldn't do that on Facebook because I'm always suspended. So, uh, Larry, take us out of here. Cue those chickens. <clears throat> Larry, pick up almonds and cashews. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, we're on the list. Oh, the next list. I'm okay. uh, special thanks to Effort Lodge 665 for allowing us to host there. However, we are actually recording 
from our producer studio in beautiful, historic Columbia, Pennsylvania. And yes, listeners, there is a historic area in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Thanks to Josh Lamberton, our producer and director, uh, who makes this show listenable and for offering his beautiful facility with all these microphones and wires and speakers uh, uh, for allowing us to be here tonight. Uh, You're reading thank, it. Why are you th- ad-libbing? Thanks to Jack Harley for our, our news director and Tim Dedman, marketing director. Uh, to our Masonic Life podcast contributors, Michelle Snyder and Jim Stevens. That's really all I have to say for the night. Thanks for listening. This is Larry. Good night. This is Tim. This is Pete. And this is Josh. 